What exactly do highly successful, purpose-driven CEOs and entrepreneurs actually do? The CEO role is one of the most mysterious positions in business, and a purpose-driven CEO is a different breed entirely. I know because I coach purpose-driven CEOs. My job gives me a unique behind-the-scenes vantage point into their world. For years, I've wished there was a way I could share the stories I hear, the risky calls, the big wins, and the big, big courage of these unique leaders because they have so much to offer anyone who's leading a business or anyone who wants to lead a purpose-driven life. This is the inspiration for the Good Company Podcast. If you want to be more productive, attract the best people, and achieve more positive impact, stay with us. I'm Barbara Shannon, your host, and you are in good company. My guest today is Nancy Vitale, Managing Partner of Partners for Wellbeing, a boutique consulting firm dedicated to helping organizations build a thriving culture for peak performance. Previously, Nancy was CHRO at Genentech, where she led that biotech giant to recognition as an employer of choice by Forbes, Fast Company, Fortune Magazine, and Diversity Inc. Nancy's here to share with us what today's most successful companies are doing differently to attract, retain, and keep top talent by creating a culture of well-being. Nancy, welcome to the V-Suite. Congratulations on the launch of your newest venture, Partners for Wellbeing. I know our listeners are going to be very excited to hear what you're doing there. And we're going to be thrilled to have you share some of the detail about that. So why don't you start by sharing with us what is Partners for Wellbeing about? Uh, And tell us also a little bit what you're doing with Gallup and the five pillars. Sure. Well, thanks for having me, Barbara, and it's exciting to be here with you today. So Partners for Wellbeing, I love helping people be at their best. And how I do that is by inspiring and guiding organizations and the people inside organizations to integrate total well-being into their cultures and into their lives. And I'm really excited to be launching this new boutique firm, Partners for Wellbeing, in the interest of reaching more people inside more organizations. And the premise is that in today's world, in particular as we think about Gen Z and, and millennials expecting, demanding, needing more from their employers, that there is a way to integrate these concepts of well-being into the cultures, less about programs and actions and resources, although that is certainly a component of what I think organizations can do. But what Partners for Well-Being can help guide people around is how to think about the everyday actions that we take that make up our culture to really support the well-being of our people in order that they can be at their best and then perform at their best. Yeah. So when you and I chatted, you mentioned some work that you're doing with Gallup and in particular, this concept of there being five pillars of well-being. Tell us a little bit about that. So a lot of my experiences and beliefs and successes and learnings have really been shaped by the decades of research that Gallup has done. And in particular, 
the work of Tom Rath while he was at Gallup. He co-wrote this book with Jim Harder back in 2010 called Well-Being, The Five Essential Elements. And it was this book that really inspired our work at Genentech around these five different pillars of well-being. So this book that Tom Rath and, and Jim Harder wrote back in 2010 really inspired what we did at Genentech. And we put in place a framework that over time we built out. And Gallup's decades of research have shown the elements that really make a life well lived. But what I have really discovered in the last year and a half is that there's an opportunity to have a more contemporary view on that framework and model. And so the Partners for Wellbeing framework is a derivative of Gallup's framework, and it entails these five key ingredients to total well-being. And the first one is around fulfillment. And this notion of fulfillment is really centered around organization and, and team and individual levels. So from an organization perspective, how do organizations clearly articulate their mission and purpose? How do the teams inside organizations clearly articulate the purpose of that team? And then how do individuals really have awareness and understanding around their own purpose so that they can derive meaning out of what they do? And the more that there's alignment between team and organization, mission, purpose, there's this congruence. But it's not always from the organization that people derive their meaning. It's about leveraging your strengths in the things that you do each and every day. It's about the contributions and impact that you can have, the learning and growth that you have in doing things you enjoy. And that can be inside and outside the organization. We can come back to that in terms of what might that specifically look like. But the second pillar is around human connection. And I think this is particularly important when we think about living in an era of digital and, and AI. So Gallup calls this social well-being. I call it human connection because I think in today's society where there's so much attention and engagement and social media, that there seems to be an erosion around the human connection. And this is about the quality of relationships in our lives. It's about the interactions we have and the supportive networks that we have in our lives. And this notion of one of the biggest components of our source of well-being is through that relationship with others. Coming back to these other pillars, so we talked about fulfillment, which Gallup calls career well-being, but I define it as fulfillment in this more contemporary view because I think it's more encompassing. Human connection and then financial well-being is, is a third key element. This is about enabling people to effectively manage their resources. It's about enabling people to have the independence to do the things that they want to do. So that's the third element. The fourth element is around community. And this is engendering a sense of belonging where you live and where you work. It's about being actively involved and engaged where you live and work. And that's an important element and source of well-being. And then the fifth element is around mind-body health. And I intentionally listed this one last, not because it is less important, but when I talk to people about well-being or holistic well-being, they automatically start using the terminology of wellness with me. And then they go to 
physical health. And this pillar Gallup refers to as as physical well-being, but I call it mind-body health to both denote the important connection between mind and body, but the importance of physical and mental health and how we think about mindfulness, resilience, gratitude, these other elements, not just our physical health. So a very important ingredient, mind-body health, but when we think about well-being, we need to expand the definition and think much more broadly in the sources of well-being for individuals. So with regard to the last three pillars that you've mentioned, financial well-being, community engagement, and mind-body health, this is implying that a business or an organization today has a responsibility or at the very least should be thinking about what they can do to relieve financial stress for employees? Or does that imply workshops or educating or resources to help people manage debt or budget? I mean, how specific does that get? And then with community engagement, how is that looking in a best-of-class company today? I think you raised some really good questions, Barbara. And this notion of what are the lines of responsibility that an organization has in these different realms? Well, I, I think it's important to also understand that Edelman, interestingly, did some research and companies, employers are the most trusted institution in today's world. And with that, I think comes a lot of responsibility. But beyond that, I think employers are looked to, to provide more today, to remain competitive. And it's not just a moral obligation, it's a business imperative to address these various needs. Now, you know, what does that look like? How does that feel? I think every organization has to define it for their own workforce and, and what those needs are. Certainly, when we think about total rewards, any company needs to be smart about being competitive. But life skills today are not taught in our educational institutions. And so I think what's really important is how does an employer help their people be at their best? And one of the key sources of stress for people today is debt and their finances. So yes, there's an educational component, but there's also a component of how do you set up positive defaults or opt-ins or make it easy and convenient for people to participate? The easiest example I have in this realm, many companies do this, is the automatic opt-in to participate in 401k plans. You see more participation for companies that do that than in companies who require you to actually proactively go in and sign up. 401k plans may not necessarily be the end-all be-all for an early in career person who's carrying a lot of student debt and coming in. So what are the mechanisms that you can provide to them in an easy, convenient way to start paying down their student debt? And there's a number of companies in the marketplace that are doing just that. So financial well-being, this entails a lot of different things and can take different forms and formats depending on the company, but you need to be thoughtful and intentional and know your people. This is really great. I'm familiar with the Edelman study. We'll provide that at the bottom of this podcast for our listeners. And with regard to companies you mentioned who are assisting with the pay down of debt, can you share with us any resources that business leaders and CEOs could look to that might enable them to set this up for their folks? 
Sure. I mean, one vendor that we used was uh, SoFi. And the interesting thing about our experience with SoFi was that we set out to help people buy down their their student debt and have more consolidation and, and therefore savings on the interest they were paying. But the more that we got into it, we also recognized needs in our workforce around personal loans, but also particularly in the Bay Area where people are struggling with cost of housing to set up a mechanism that would enable them to have better rates around home mortgages. So SoFi was an interesting one for us. There are other organizations that are out there that are helping people. One startup I've lost a little bit of track of, but it's called Wealth UK. They're a startup that is setting out to really support millennials in particular and to help them with their, their financial needs and providing some of those life skills and guidance in a more virtual way. You were with Genentech for 13 years and served as Chief Human Resources Officer for six years. What did you most appreciate about your time at Genentech? Yeah, I think for me, what evolved over the 13 years that I was there and what I really appreciated was what does it really take to have a great place to work? And I've worked for a lot of great companies in my career And there was something really special about the experience at Genentech. And one of the partners that we have at Partners for Wellbeing is the Great Place to Work Institute. And what I really came to appreciate in my time at Genentech was their methodology and their trust index and how that really took form and shape and evolved over time at Genentech. And at the core is this notion of trust. And I think a lot of times people will look at large companies like Genentech and others and say, well, you have a lot of resources and you can invest and do things that other companies can't do. And yet there are a lot of organizations who may not have as many resources, but at the core, this notion of how you build and engender trust but how you articulate a clear sense of purpose and mission and meaning and how you enable greater collegiality amongst your people, how you engender that respect and credibility. So what I really came to appreciate are those ingredients for what makes up a really great place to work and one where you can have a culture that thrives. Every business is shaped by the decisions it makes, and most of those decisions come down to choices and trade-offs among available dollars, talent, and priorities. There are always multiple options for where to invest, and in my experience, the C-suite is usually a cacophony of executive voices, each jostling for their position at the top of that list. Really, until very recently, HR's voice was soft in that arena, especially relative to functions like R&D, sales, production. How did this battle for the budget play out at Genentech so that you were able to get the resources for best place to work practices and programs? Yeah, I think that's an interesting insight, how you think about the relationship of these different focus areas that executives and leaders have 
as it relates to perhaps taking risk on talent or how that comes to life in terms of the investments that one makes? Because with every investment right, that you make in one area, you're foregoing an investment in another. But for a knowledge organization, for an innovative organization like Genentech, as an example, this notion of investing in people, because it is all about the people, as you think about the drug discovery, development, and and delivery process, and that investment is so key. So from a diversity perspective as well, right? It's Genentech's a scientific company that is founded on taking scientific risks. And you get there through a diversity of approaches. And the same holds true when you think about talent. And one of the things that I really appreciated working there for 13 years was the long view that the organization took and the executives took as it related to increasing diversity. And so that tone was was set from the top. This dates back to when I started at the organization. Art Levinson was the, the CEO. The focused attention that he gave way back when to the need to increase gender diversity at the company. And I think there was an acknowledgement that when we think about when we were thinking about the patients that we were serving, that we have to represent those individuals within the organization to best serve them. And so this notion of diversity of thought and experience and representation resonating with this notion of diversity and experimentation within this science-driven company. And I was really proud of the work that we had done over a decade to really get to a point when I left the organization earlier this year, pretty much 50-50 representation of men and women all the way up through the director ranks, 45% of women in the top 1% of jobs. Those were the officer jobs. And when I was you know, in the C-suite, we had three of the seven of us that were women. And so again, that doesn't come without having a a long view in doing the day in and day out things to intentionally invest in those areas over time. Looking ahead at the future of work, what trends or shifts do you see? What are you excited about? I'm excited about this next generation of folks coming in. When I look at even my nieces and nephews, when I look at folks that are really interested in the conversations around impact and meaning. I'm excited even for these recent conversations that were happening this year around the CEO roundtable and thinking about the role of the organization beyond just there to serve shareholders, but the myriad of stakeholders that an organization touches, none the least of which are employees. And so I think this focused attention and with these these new generations that are becoming more the leaders in organization and work today and the mindset of these folks to really make a difference, to have a positive impact on society is inspiring to me. And I'm learning a lot from those folks as well. So that excites me. 
I don't think we'd be overstating it to say that leaving your role as CHRO of one of the largest biotech companies in the world to launch your own business is a bold move. Tell us about Partners for Wellbeing, Nancy, and what about it propels you forward? I'm super excited for this new endeavor. As you and I had talked about previously, I wouldn't have pictured myself in this position a couple years ago, but this strong sense of personal purpose to make the work world a better place, or at least help it to become a better place, and this notion of how organizations can rethink the things that they're doing in a way that will build more thriving cultures. So again, the premise is when people can be at their best, they can do their best work. And what Partners for Wellbeing sets out to do is is to work with organizations to come in to help them assess the current state of well-being in their organization, to inventory the things that an organization is doing to today enhance the well-being of their people or or possibly to diminish that well-being and then to set a strategy, a plan, an approach to really focus on those things that are going to have the most meaning and relevance to improve the well-being of, of the people inside that organization and to help those organizations support the implementation set up so that they can really have even greater thriving cultures where people can do their best work. Huge thanks to Nancy Vitale for focusing us on the power of well-being in today's workplace. If you'd like to connect with Nancy, go to the Partners for Wellbeing website at partnersforwellbeing.com. If you like what you're hearing, you'll find all the Good Company podcast recordings on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. If you're curious about working with me, send me an email, barbara at shannon-solutions.com. This episode and all the Good Company podcasts are produced with the help from the amazing team at Resonate Recordings. Till next time, stay strong and carry on. I'm Barbara Shannon, and you've been listening to the Good Company Podcast.